You know, we sang a song a couple minutes ago about God of Re- the God of revival, and that's certainly the God we serve. Amen? And, and do you want a revival in your life? Do you want God to work in a mighty way? You know, there are people, this is all free, by the way, this has nothing to do with my message, but I just got inspired by this, by this song we just sang and something that Riley said. So here we go. Let me make this connection for you. You know, there are people that don't believe we really need revival today because after all, we have the word of God and that's enough. And the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It will, it will, uh, it will cause uh, the work to be done in our lives that needs to be done. So what's the need for revival? Well, let me tell you what the need for revival is. Riley said that she loves the rain, right? I wonder what she'll say about it by the end of this week. Because you see, she loves the rain, but we're on storm watch. And if that wasn't enough, there's an atmospheric river that is coming. And because that atmospheric river is coming by way of Hawaii, it's also called the Pineapple Express. Now, is there anybody here that has not heard at least one of those terms or is unaware that rain is coming? It's very difficult to to escape that fact. And guys, that is what revival is. I mean, there's rain. There's no big deal. Rain is rain. And it's nice and it makes things grow and I have to mow the weeds out of my yard. And, you know, that's fine. But this is going to be rain. And that's what revival is. And I pray that that's what we want in our lives. We want God to work in a way that cannot be ignored, that that we have to come up with new titles to describe the work of God in our life, not extra biblical titles. And by the way, uh, revival is not something we manufacture. That's something the Lord does. We just accept it. So are you ready this morning? Did you come here today ready to accept what God has for you? Because he wants revival in your life. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would speak to us through your words. Lord, we're not here to to manufacture some emotional experience. Lord, we are here to experience you and the emotions, whatever they may be, result from your work in our lives. Father, would you give us wisdom and insight to your word today? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of you, uh, if you're like me, you grew up with this toy right here. Remember see and say? (laughs) You pull the handle and the dog says. Right. You pull the handle, the cat says. The the cow says. Right. Do you know that those, those are known as onomatopoeias, right? An onomatopoeia is a word that describes generally a sound, like boom or pop. Okay, what's a boom? It's, it's a sound, okay? And I was thinking about this. I wonder what it must be like to have see and say in other countries. For instance, you know, in other countries, cows don't say moo. They say boo. In other countries, roosters, we know roosters, cock-a-doodle-doo, right? Well, no, in many countries, kiki-kiki-ree. A duck doesn't quack. A duck goes par-par. A dog goes ham-ham, <laughs> Yeah, my dogs would love some ham. If They'd probably learn to say it if it got them ham. Anyway, <laughs> a pig, speaking of ham, a pig says grok, grok, and a monkey, we all know monkeys, right? Yeah, I'm not speaking to a youth group here. If I had said that in a youth group, the place would be exploding in monkey sounds. No, monkeys are frou, frou, frou. <laughs> okay, well, the reason I say that... <laughs> 
is because what we have been seeing and hopefully saying is a lot of work on behalf of Jesus Christ. A few, actually it was a year ago, believe it or not, that we went through or we began uh, in the uh, book of Matthew, we began the section known as the Sermon on the Mount. That's chapters 5 through 7 of the book of Matthew. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we saw Jesus making some bold statements. I mean, if there was a Jesus see and say, it would be, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus says, I am the Lord. Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And so we heard what Jesus had to say, and since we got out of chapter 7, from chapters 8, and we're now in chapter 9, nearing the end of chapter 9, we have seen Jesus backing up what he said. For instance, in chapter 8, we saw that he, cleared a man, he cleansed a man of leprosy. He healed a paralyzed servant of a centurion. He healed Peter's mother-in-law who was sick with fever. He healed, as it says, many who were sick and oppressed. He calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. He cast a multitude of demons out of two demon-possessed men among the tombs. And then that's just chapter 8. Then we get to chapter 9, and what have we saw? It opened with Jesus healing healing this paralyzed man who was so determined to see Jesus that his friends let him down after they took a piece of the roof off to get near to Jesus. And then as we saw last week, Jesus healed a woman who had been sick with this issue of blood for 12 years. And then, uh, on his, and then and he did that while he was on his way and in fact raising of all things the ultimate uh, the, the ultimate miracle, he raised a child who had been sick but had died. Nevertheless, he raised this 12-year-old girl from the dead. And today we are going to see a couple of final displays of his powers, at least in this section. He's going to continue to do miracles. And why is he doing these miracles? It's because he said some amazing things. He said some blasphemous things. Let's be honest, were he not who he is? And what has he been doing ever since? He has been backing up what he said with what he is now doing. Jesus is, for anybody who is willing to listen, they cannot escape the fact that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, and that is the Messiah. Now, why do these miracles prove this? Well, there's a number of places in the Old Testament. Let me just give you one where it talks about the Messiah. Here is Isaiah 35. It says this, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, the, the compensation of God, if you will. He will right wrongs. He will come and save you and then catch this part. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. And what he's doing here, this is a, known as, this is a messianic passage. This is talking about, he's talk, just take that for, for what it's worth. He's talking about the Messiah, and he's describing what the Messiah is going to do. So you see, there's no, it's not a coincidence that Jesus is doing the works that he's doing. And he's not doing them randomly. He's doing them very specifically, very purposefully. In fact, in John chapter 11... I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, who has been imprisoned, 
actually begins to wonder. His faith begins to falter, and he begins to wonder if Jesus is, in fact, who he says he is. Are you the Messiah? And in verses 2, we read this. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. We sang about that this morning. These are the signs of the Messiah, and that is why Jesus is healing. That is why he's doing these miracles. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to pick up where we left off last week at verse 27. I encourage you to take notes this morning. We have note sheets uh, for you. We have tons of note sheets. You can take two sets of notes. We printed lots of note sheets because Charlie and I didn't communicate and we got double the amount. So there's, if you want to take note sheets home for your friends, go ahead. And... <laughs> And uh, if you're with us online, you can get the notes on the church app as well. And um, of course, on the back are a series of questions that we'll be using in our life groups this week. Feel free to use those in your own devotionals. And we're going to see today, guys, I can't emphasize this enough. Contrary to what some people think, Jesus' purpose was not to be a miracle worker other than one miracle. His purpose in coming was to be the acceptable sacrifice for our sins. That's what we're remembering. That's, that's, that's what this reminder of this table is to us, just why Jesus came. The miracles that he did are the proof, again, of who he was for anyone who is willing to hear him. In John 10, we read of how the people were getting ready to stone Jesus. And Jesus says, for what work are you stoning me? And the people said, we're not stoning you for works. We're stoning you because you, a mere man, call yourself God. And Jesus said, well, if you don't believe my words, then believe my works. Believe my miracles. Believe what the prophets said about what I am doing. I am fulfilling the work of the Messiah. And they continue, guys, to prove who he is to us today. As we're going to see here again, the last of the miracles in this section anyway, I ask you this morning, you, if you've been with us for this past year, you heard what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You, if you've been with us even just the past few weeks, have seen the miracles that he did. And so I ask you this morning, as I've been asking myself all week long, what do you see and save about Jesus? What happens when they pull your handle and it says, Willie says, okay? And as Jesus and his disciples leave Jairus' house, that's where we left them last week, after successfully raising his daughter from the dead, again, a sign of who he really is, he continues proving that he is the Messiah. What did Isaiah say in his list? One of the things would be that the blind will be able to see. That's what we're going to see this morning. Look at verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now what these guys say is telling us a whole lot. First off, just let me tell you, when it says here that they cried aloud, 
It means that they kept crying. They kept pestering him. They were probably annoying, uh, certainly to the crowd around them. And they were, they, they were anxiously trying to reach Jesus. They're, they're continuing. And by the way, they must have had help as well because after all, they're blind. But it's very telling to us what in fact they are saying. They are saying to Jesus, what is it? Have mercy on us. This kind of hit me this week because what is mercy? Mercy is getting something that you don't deserve. If you've done something and you're in court and you know you did it and everybody knows you did it and the judge knows, judge knows you did it, there's only one thing you can plead at this point. You can throw yourself on the mercy of the court that even though you're guilty, they're going to let you go. And that's what these guys are saying. Why are they saying that? Well, because human nature, being what it is, I'll speak for my human nature, I don't think a week goes by, sometimes a day doesn't go by, where I don't think to myself, I don't deserve this. Why am I being treated like this? Why are people acting this way? Not these guys. They know right off the bat that they do not deserve a healing from the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at what it says. They are persistent anyway. And why are they persistent? Well, their next statement gives us that reason. They call Jesus the son of David. And I'll just let you know, guys, that is a title for the Messiah. They know who Jesus is. They know that he's the Messiah. And I have no doubt that they know that one of the things the Messiah was here to do is to restore sight to the blind. Hence, here they are. It's, it's amazing. These blind guys, if you think about it, have more sight than most people. They recognize and they acknowledge exactly who Jesus is. They know him. And yet, as we read this, it seems like Jesus is, is ignoring them. Better yet, I think maybe Jesus is, is giving them an opportunity to demonstrate just how much they want this. I wonder sometimes how much do I want when I'm asking Jesus for things. I have, I have people and situations that I've been praying for. I hope you do too. And I'll be honest with you, there's some of these that uh, I get a little weary of praying for them because I don't see an answer yet. I don't see it happening. And then I read this passage and I think, man, these guys aren't giving up. They know this is what the Lord is here to do. They know that he wants to give good things. And so they keep praying and they keep crying out and they keep pestering the Lord. And in fact, as we see here, they're going to follow him right into the house that they're going to. And Jesus speaks, finally, he speaks to them. Verse 28, and when Jesus entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus says to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Now, again, I, I wonder, because this is just the way I look at Scripture and particularly the behavior of Jesus. I, I see these things. I put myself there and I think, what would I be thinking? Why is Jesus acting like this? It's almost like he's kind of mean, like he's ignoring them, but he's giving them, I believe, an opportunity to really demonstrate their faith in him. But also, I believe Jesus doesn't want to do this miracle, as we're going to see in a minute. He doesn't want to do this miracle in front of a crowd. He's not going to turn to them in the midst of this crowd, as, as we're going to see, and do this miracle in front of everybody. So he goes into the house first. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but when Jesus asked, do you believe I can do this? I, 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 was, I grew up 
was one of those boys that grew up reading Mad Magazine. Any of you guys remember Mad Magazine? And they used to have a regular feature in Mad Magazine called Snappy Answers to Stupid Questions. And this would almost be a stupid question. What have these guys been doing? They're, they're, they're pestering Jesus. They're following him. Oh, Lord, save us. Give us your sight. And, and, and so they get into the house, and what does Jesus say to them? Do you believe I can do this? Well, duh. I would have been tempted to say that. <laughs> Did you figure that out, Jesus? I mean, I've only been following you through town. In quite the opposite, though, fortunately for them, and hopefully I wouldn't behave uh, so uh, inappropriately, but they say, yes, Lord. And that's a great answer because, guys, calling Jesus Lord, every word here has significance. And they call Jesus Lord. It is a simple statement, is a simple title of absolute faith. To call Jesus Lord is similar to when we say amen, or at least it should be like it. You see, amen, it's not just a period on the end of a prayer. It's not just a courtesy closing. It's not just like I used to think as a kid, okay, we can eat now. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for the amen because this food smells good and I want to eat it. No, amen means, yes, Lord, you can do it. I believe it. I hope that fuels your amens. You know, there are times when preachers preach and they say something particularly profound or they read something particularly profound and people go, amen. That's what you're saying when you say that. You're saying, I believe that. That is true. I'm with you, pastor. Or when you say amen after the person up front prays and you, you, you agree with them, that's what it's doing. So it's no surprise that Jesus does what they're asking. Verse 29, and he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And once again, like we, see, like we saw last week, we see the power of faith. What has Jesus done here? First, he asked them if they had faith. You know, do you believe I can do this? And then he healed them, as he says here, according to that faith. Now, let me, let me caution you. According to your faith doesn't mean, like a lot of people will teach you, it doesn't mean in proportion to your faith, okay? Faith healers love to say, they love to give the excuse that if you didn't get the healing that you're praying for, you know why. It's because you didn't have enough faith. And guys, that is not at all true. More faith does not give more healing. In fact, Jesus taught just the opposite. In Matthew 17, 20, his disciples couldn't cast a demon out while Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he comes down and his disciples say, we can't cast this demon out. Why, Lord? And he says to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, talk about little faith. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, and I'm told that is one of, if not the smallest seed there is, he couldn't get a smaller seed. And that's his point. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. If you just have the smallest amount of faith, when he tells these blind guys that they will be healed according to their faith, He's not saying in proportion to your faith. He's saying in response to your faith, no matter what the size of your faith is. They had followed Jesus. They had persisted. They were obnoxious about it. But that's how you behave when you have no doubt about something. When I was a teacher, I remember one time when I had the students hand in all their papers. 
And I went through, and I'm grading the papers, and I'm recording the grade. And there was a couple of papers that weren't there, that were missing. And so they got a zero. They didn't turn their paper in. And one of those kids tried to tell me that he had turned his paper in. And he said, you know, uh, Mr. Behrens, I, I turned in my paper. You must have lost it. And I said, no, I didn't lose it. It went right into that bin, and it went right to my desk. I didn't lose it. And the guy's like, eh, okay. Sort of like, it was worth a shot. I lost another paper, and I truly did lose that paper. <laughs> and that kid comes up and says, I turned my paper in. And I tried the same thing. No, I don't think so. Guess how this kid behaved? Oh, no, I turned my paper in. He got so self-righteous. and like, I, am a, I declare to you by the mercies of God that you know. He didn't do that. But I mean, <laughs> he was not going to take anything less than full credit. And he was so convincing to me that I said, well, I'll go look again. And sure enough, I found his paper. It got stuck to the back of another paper. So guys, when people really believe something, they tend to be exercised about it, if you will. So in this particular healing, it proves that Jesus is the Messiah. It backs up his big words with these actions, as Isaiah said so. In fact, healing the blind, this is interesting, healing the blind never happened in the Old Testament. There's no record of a blind person in, in the history of, Ju of Israel. That is uniquely reserved for the disciple. I don't know about you, but that, that makes it, that kind of ups the ante. I mean, there should have been no doubt who this guy is if he's healing blind people that had never been done before. And you'd think that would finally prove to everybody exactly who Jesus is. But Jesus does something next that, again, to us, seems rather unusual. Look at verse 30 as it continues. Jesus sternly warns these blind guys, see to it that no one knows about it. This is one of, another one of those times, at this point in his ministry anyway, when Jesus says this. Now, why would he not want anybody to know about it? Well, as I said, first off, he is not a faith healer. His miracles are being done in order to prove his true purpose and who he really is. He doesn't want people coming to him only for a miracle which is actually what happened, okay? People, we, we know from Scripture, it says they showed up because of the many miracles. The, the Pharisees at one point even say, show us some more miracles, and Jesus says, no, no more, you're not getting any more miracles. He wants them to believe in him. And when the words get out, when the word gets out that he's doing miracles, of course, the crowds show up. They want to get fed. They want to get healings. They want, who wouldn't show up? And it makes it very difficult or even sometimes impossible for Jesus to work. There were times when the crowds were pressing so much that Jesus just had to leave. I don't know about you, but how would you have felt if you were one of those people there to get a healing and he takes off because of the crowds? But it can also, uh, it can also be a dangerous thing for these two guys. Opposition to Jesus is growing. And increasingly, we're going to be seeing how they want to kill Jesus. They want to just, they, they want to, it's the final solution. Just get rid of him and our problems will be over. And so it's very possible that he is protecting these guys from danger. Do you know in John 12, 10, that it says that not only were they wanting to kill Jesus, but guess who else they wanted to kill? They wanted to kill Lazarus as well. They had a plot to kill Lazarus 
because Lazarus was proof of what Jesus was saying. And so you got to get rid of the proof as well. And so it's very likely that Jesus might just be protecting them here, among other things. But all of these reasons fall by the wayside because even though they were told, I totally understand this. And usually that's exactly how I've read this. Except this week, we're here at the communion table. And I think you'll see the connection in a minute. But, but we can totally understand this. This was huge. How could we expect them to keep quiet? How could we expect this to remain a secret? I dare say if, if Bill Omer showed up at church seeing, uh, it really wouldn't matter. Bill doesn't have to keep quiet. I would notice something different about Bill, whether he said so or not. Now, if I, if I said to Bill, tell me how this happened, and he had been told not to, I trust that Bill would be obedient because that's what's at stake here, guys. No matter how much I understand it, they directly disobeyed what Jesus said to do. And I don't know about you, but no matter what I think or how much I give them a pass or how much I can understand why they did what they did, it's wrong. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? What a, boy, what a stickler you are, Willie. You sound kind of pharisaical here. But it leads me to consider my actions in light of what Jesus says that I am to do. Do I often, do I let my feelings guide my actions? Even as in this case, my feelings sometimes of gratitude for Jesus, like these guys, instead of just simply listening to what he says through his word, we have the word of God here, but they had it pretty direct. I mean, go back and read it. Jesus made no bones about it. There was no, there was no wiggle room here. Don't talk about it. <laughs> Don't tell anybody what happened here. Obviously, people are going to notice that they're, that they're not blind anymore, but don't talk about it. Sometimes we think we know better. Sometimes we see something in Scripture and we say, well, Jesus, uh, he, he couldn't have been serious about that, or he doesn't know my situation, and so we go ahead and act contrary to his words. The reason I emphasize communion here is because one of Jesus' big things, and it comes up in communion because, you see, our communion is not only communion between us and God. We, we like to focus on that one, and we should, but it's also our communion with each other. And he tells us many places throughout Scripture that we are to live in harmony with one another, and he gives a prescription of how to achieve that. And yet, how many times have I not done that? How many times have I been justified in feeling how I feel about my brother or sister in Christ? And the Apostle Paul reminds us at the communion table that this is a very serious thing. Don't take communion if that's your attitude towards somebody else in the body. You are not communing. You're putting on a show. It is a sham. And so don't do it because some people have been sick and some people have literally died because that's how serious God takes it. Guys, I, I know I can hear some of you right now. Pastor, what's the big deal? I think it's a huge deal, sorry, when we violate what Scripture clearly says or what Jesus has clearly told us to do. Because of that, think about this. The church doesn't have a very good reputation in a lot of areas. Bible-believing churches down through history have supported slavery and apartheid and racism and fascism. Do you realize there was an entire, uh, there, there were churches that, that went along with the Nazi regime in Germany. 
They've supported opposition towards others, bigotry, as I said, racism. The list could go on and on and on, but I know some of you, I don't have to prove that. You know what churches have done in the name of Jesus Christ that that contradicts what his word says we are to do. Guys, here's the point. Take Jesus' words seriously, and I can't emphasize that enough, particularly on Communion Sunday. This is not just some ceremony that we're just walking through. It has serious consequences. It's a, as I told somebody this morning in prayer, uh, it, it's, it's sort of a reset for us. It brings us back, it should anyway, it brings us back to where we ought to be after, you know, a, after getting dirty out there in the world, you know, getting wet from the Pineapple Express. <laughs> Take Jesus' words seriously. Live by them. Don't give priority to your feelings or your hunches, or your preferences, or, or even your joy. And I know that's hard, and that's why we have the body. So if you're struggling with that, then go to somebody and say, I, I, I'm struggling with this. I, I, I know that there's some things I need to do. I, I, it's very clear in Scripture what I need to do, but I have a hard time with this. That's why we are here to encourage one another and to bear each other's burdens. Show your commitment to Jesus by simply, as he said, obeying him. John 14, 15. He simply says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Almost enough said right there. Do you love him? Do what he says. So these guys told not to speak and they disobeyed him by speaking, but that's not his command to us. <laughs> that, that, that hasn't persisted, right? We are no longer told not to, uh, not to speak. In fact, we are told to do exactly the opposite. It's called the Great Commission. Acts 1.8 is one example, but you will receive power. The, the you is us. It's you. If you know Christ as, as Lord this morning, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, that means you're a believer, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are commanded to do the opposite of what those blind guys were told to do. We are commanded to go out and, 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 and preach to the ultimately the entire world, particularly my world, those 8 to 15 people that I'm praying for, my neighbors, my, my, my co-workers, the people I go to school with, the, the guy at the convenience store that takes my order. So don't get too excited over these blind guys' disobedience. It's better to ask yourself, what am I doing about Jesus' command to me? Now remember, Isaiah said we'd know the Messiah because what? One of the things he would do is open the eyes of the blind. We have one more scenario this morning. That wasn't all that he said. He also said that he would, that the tongue of the mute would sing for joy. And guess what we see next? The mute will be able to speak. Look at verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to Jesus. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. So here's a guy who can't speak, he's mute, unable to speak, but in this case, it's not a physical healing, it's a spiritual healing. This is demon, uh, demon oppression, it says. But once again, not only is Jesus proving that he is Messiah, but it's also another demonstration of his divine authority over even the forces of darkness. As we see many times in Scripture, the demons know exactly who he is and who he was. And what did they often do? We know who you are. We know you're the son of God. And what did Jesus do to them? He said, be quiet. You know, he shut their mouths. 
and cast them into pigs, okay? So from that point on, all you're hearing them say is, <laughs> or, or, or grew, grew, groink, groink, or you know, whatever it is. Depends on where you are in the world, what noise the pig is making. And so as Isaiah predicted, we will know the Messiah. Among other things, the blind will be able to see, the mute will be able to speak, and it's possible that these blind, like the blind guys, these demon-oppressed mute guys uh, couldn't keep quiet either based on the reaction that we see here of the crowd. I don't know that, but it, 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 Jesus did have crowds pressing around him. And in their reaction, we see an interesting thing because the people that are observing this, that are seeing this, or see the results, if that's the case, they, they see the exact same thing. I was talking to somebody this week, and we were talking about perceptions. Uh, they, they talk about people in law enforcement, for instance, say uh, the best way to get away with something, the best way to make sure you're not uh, accurately described uh, to a, a police artist is to have many people see you. Because every person is going to see you differently. And the more people you do, apparently the more people you do a crime in front of, you think that would, would hurt you, but it actually helps you because you get all these different stories. That's just to be expected. And here we have these situations of Jesus and we have, as we see here, the witnesses often, in fact, see what they want to see. Jesus is doing these amazing things. But amazingly, the response from the witnesses that have seen it couldn't be more different. Look at verse 33 as it continues. The crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. Okay, great response, and they're right. But then verse 34, but the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. <laughs> you couldn't get more different. I mean, on one hand, assume, I assume these people are saying, we've never seen God work like this, and yet the religious leaders are attributing what Jesus is doing to demonic forces. They're amazed at what he's doing uh, and, and how he's doing. Uh, I, I see here that the uh, Pharisees can't deny what he is doing, and so what are they doing? The, the, the they can't deny the evidence. And so just like jo Jesus told John's disciples, that evidence, the blind, what does it say in Matthew eleven five? The blind, put up there, Danny, the blind will receive their sight, the lame will walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. The Pharisees can't deny that these things are happening. They can't deny what he's doing. They can only criticize how he's doing it and attribute his power to Satan, which really is pretty direct blasphemy right there. And this isn't an intellectual problem, okay? Any fool can look at what is happening and reason out the right answer. This is a spiritual problem. No matter what Jesus does, no matter what Jesus says, his critics are not going to believe him and to some degree are not going to believe in him. And guys, trust me, if you don't know, people still have this problem today. In spite of all the evidence for God, in spite of all the claims of Jesus Christ and the proof that he gave for those claims, he is still rejected. So what do you, how do you solve this problem? More books? More evidence? No. The only one who can reach somebody in that state, or in any state for that matter, is to soften their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that, that, that breaks us down, that changes us. Most likely you are surrounded by these people, right? 
You're surrounded by the scoffers, the ones who call Jesus a liar or a crazy man or a legend. There are still people out there that don't even believe Jesus ever existed. They come up with excuses. They explain away all of the miracles. They come up with every conceivable way to to spin this except the truth. As C.S. Lewis said, he's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he is who he says he is. He is the Lord. There are no other options. He didn't intend there to be. And what do you do? What are you doing? We're praying for them. I hope you're praying. I hope you're bringing them before the Lord. You're looking for those opportunities to be able to share with them that he's the one and only one who can, who can change you from the inside out. And while you're doing that, guess what you are? <laughs> you become the see and say in their life. And every time they pull your handle, Willie says, Jesus is Lord. Willie says, Jesus loves you. Willie says, and I love you too. We become those see and says. Let me give you a couple of takeaways. The elders will come forward and begin preparing our table and the worship team can come up as well. But a couple of things as I look at this passage that I take away and as we prepare ourselves to come and, uh, and, and sort of really consider what he has said to us today. Number one, I ask myself, do I recognize my need for mercy? Trust me, guys, we are hardwired to want things our way. I want things my way. Uh, and why is that? Because somehow I have convinced myself that I deserve it. I'm a pastor. I'm a professional Christian. I should, I should, there should be some things that come my way because of that. No, I need his mercy. And I need his mercy day by day because I know what goes on in this head. I know some of the actions that I carry out. So I pray that we recognize like, this, like those blind guys did, oh Lord, have mercy on me. Because if you ever, what is that, the, the old, it's not a joke, but it kind of comes across as one, don't ever ask Jesus to give you what you deserve, right? You, you don't want that. <laughs> Number two, do I obey Jesus' commands? Even when it doesn't seem like it's the best plan, even when, now I'm not talking about things that, that we question, that's where wisdom is necessary, that's where we sit down and we reason together and we think through this. But when you have a direct command in God's word, Commands like brothers dwell together in unity, okay? When you have things like that, do I obey him? Or do I give all the reasons for why that can't be carried out in my situation? My situation is different. Jesus, you don't know how it, yes, he does. He does know. And you know he knows. And number three, finally, how do I respond to Jesus? And that's where we come today as we come to this table. We ask ourselves, hopefully most of us have responded to Jesus. We have accepted him as our Lord and our Savior.